Hello, and welcome to the Woodard Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. And it is proudly sponsored by Expensify. For more information about Expensify, please visit woodard.com slash podcast. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Hey, everybody. We're back at it again. And I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Jeff Siebert from Digits, the co-founder and uh, CEO of Digits, uh, to join us for an amazing conversation. Jeff, welcome. Heather, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. You know, you joined us back in St. Louis back last month um, and did an amazing keynote uh, where you talked about The Social Dilemma, which is the documentary that you were part of that talked about the dangers of social media and privacy and, and things like that. And you also talked about your journey and, of course, digits and the future of AI. And man, people loved it. Um, I was just going through all of the reviews and, and the feedback, and it was just so well needed. And, and what I kept hearing over and over again was how you were able to make it super understandable for the attendees what what generative AI and the different types of AI are. So thank you for that, because I think that's something that as accounting professionals, we've kind of struggled with a little bit. Well, that is so great to hear. It was a real privilege to be there. Really appreciate the invite. And it was awesome meeting everyone after the keynote. Uh, Lots of great questions, lots of excitement about the future and what technology can bring to the profession. Um, So yeah, it was a really fantastic opportunity. Awesome. Well, you have an incredible career so far and you're still just, I mean, it feels like you're still getting started with your career, but you've already accomplished so much. And when I was kind of reading about you, I noticed that you started programming at 12 years old. So tell That's us right. about that. What, what draw you, drew you to computer programming? It was sort of a happy accident, I would say. So uh, I'd say like most kids growing up in the 90s, I was obsessed with computer games for a few years. Uh, spent a lot of time playing games, probably more than my parents wanted. Um, and one year for Christmas, they gave me the book Mac Programming for Dummies, literally the For Dummies book. I was 12 and I read the book. And to be honest, I didn't really understand it um, and put it back down and kept playing games. But then actually later that year, I started getting bored of the games and I sort of had this desire to, to change them, to hack them, to like figure out how I could make the game more interesting. And so I picked the book back up and read it again. And for those who have heard about programming, the first example is always Hello World, a really simple program that just prints Hello World to the screen. And so I did that and I decided on a whim to make the text change orange. And I remember this vividly. And the moment that text changed orange, this light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh, wow, I can make this computer do anything I want. And I literally ran outside. My dad was mowing the lawn. I ran outside and like yelled at him. I was like, I can make the computer do things. And he had no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) Uh, But from that moment on, sort of at 12, I basically spent hours a day, every day of my life programming. And I've fallen in love with it. It's the best thing in the world. Well, and you've done, I mean, you've, you've, you've started and sold, I want to say at least three companies (laughs) Um, in your, in, in your career, you, you actually, your first company, you started uh, Increo in 2007, 
yep. which you sold later to Fox, but that was before you even graduated from Stanford. So I can started, you tell us a little Go ahead. Yeah, I started it before graduation from Stanford. Um, this was in our computer science program. We had to do a senior project where you had to make something. And so a couple of friends and I got together and brainstormed ideas. And we started getting frustrated on, we couldn't figure out was the idea good or not. There were too many different things that we could build. And so after a few brainstorms, we were like, okay, never mind. Let's just build something to help us talk about our ideas and get feedback on them. And so that was the initial concept for Increo. And we built this tool first as a class project. Uh, much to our surprise, we ended up winning the class competition. We then uh, started talking with a couple investors. And again, much to our surprise, an investor was interested in us doing it and pursuing the concept. And so it evolved into a feedback tool uh, that we launched called Backboard. And this was back in 2007. And so at that time, it was actually very hard to collaborate online. There weren't a lot of tools in that era. And we were one of the first to allow you to upload a file, whether it be a Word doc or PowerPoint or PDF or Photoshop file, whatever it could be and send it out for feedback and people could draw on it and mark it up and give you comments. Um, and it ended up, we launched it and it ended up doing relatively well. So that was sort of our first crash course in tech startups. And you guys did incredible. Um, and then tell us about the other company that you started not very long after that. <laughs> so yeah, fast forward. So in Creo, we ran for almost two years. We ended up getting acquired by Box in 2009. It was Box's first acquisition, uh, the first acquisition Aaron Levy had ever done as CEO. Um, and at Box, I ended up leading engineering for their sync product, uh, which is was very complicated. So Box at the time was facing competition from Dropbox, which everyone's probably familiar with. Dropbox had great sync technology to back up all your files. I led the team that was building that at Box, and it was very tricky. It kept crashing. And I started working on some tooling sort of nights and weekends to understand why apps crashed and what we could do about it. And so that uh, led to me starting leaving Box and starting a company called Crashlytics. And the goal was to make it super simple for app developers to understand why their apps crashed. And we were able to tell them in under two seconds what line of code they needed to fix, no matter where in the world their app crashed. Uh, and so this was now 2011. The wave of mobile was rising rapidly. Uh, and we got very lucky with timing. Uh, we launched Crashlytics. It spread like wildfire. We went from zero to 300 million smartphones in one year um, that it was running on. And 14 months later, we were acquired by Twitter. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, that, that really, that's, wow. And what's interesting is that what I'm hearing is that in, in both cases, you thought of a problem that you were having in your own life. You were looking for a solution to that problem, just like the text turning orange, right? Yeah. And then you were like, there's got to be a bunch of other people out there that need this. And you created something that just was incredibly impactful. I mean, I, wow. Yeah. I would describe it, and I, I mean this actually in a positive way, I love really unsexy problems, sort of unsexy <laughs> software. So document collaboration, mobile apps crashing, now of course, trying to build modern accounting software. And it's my mindset is how can we make these sort of unsexy problems solved as if Apple itself had built the solution? Like so elegant, so easy to use that you can't help but using it. 
So you're completely customer centric. It's all about understanding the pain point and creating something that's completely intuitive and a product that you can't imagine not using once you've been introduced to it. Exactly. And in each of these scenarios, actually also a problem that I personally had. And so that was the drive to solve it. I just got so frustrated about this problem, couldn't find a solution. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll build it. <laughs> so I want to hear like your, your, your newest company, Digits. So what was the problem there? And how did, what, what's the story behind starting Digits? Yeah, so Digits really came out of my experience at Crashlytics and then at Twitter after we were acquired. And so at Crashlytics, you're building a company, it's growing rapidly, and we had such incredible insight on the product and usage side. So you have Google Analytics, you have A-B testing tools, you have performance dashboards, right? We could know exactly how the product was being used, who was using it, what they were doing, what problems they were hitting, what we need to fix. And then the contrast to me as, as the sort of founder and CEO was looking at the finance side and realizing we had no visibility until two to three weeks later when we would get a PDF or Excel report from our accountant on what happened the prior month. And of course, by the time that came, I wasn't focused on the prior month, right? Like we just got our June numbers a week or two ago. I don't worry about June anymore. I'm worried about August. And so uh, that dichotomy really struck me. And I was like, how can it be that we have real-time data on one side of the company and not on the other? And so that was the simple premise for Digits was, okay, we are building a real-time finance dashboard for founders and business owners. Awesome. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've, you know, dabbled in Digits. And one of the things that um, really struck me when I was first demoing it was, first of all, the UI is beautiful. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's very, um, it reminds me of a video game. And then the other thing that, and, and I'm an accountant, I'm a CPA. So this is coming from somebody who understands numbers was, it's so intuitive that when I am navigating through it, it's almost like it understands what I'm going to ask and delivers it before I can even think about, well, now I want to see this detail about this particular metric. It's like, it's just there. So that was something that really struck me. And I, I, I can only imagine that that comes from your, uh, from your history and your, your experience being so customer centric and also, you know, working in video games and, you know, at Twitter and these, these high tech companies. So Tell me a little bit about what, as far as the UI, what, what inspired that and what was were you and your team thinking when you were starting to build that out? Because it's so different from anything we've ever seen in accounting software. Well, first off, that is incredibly positive to hear. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and that's certainly the goal we've been driving towards. Um, it's not always easy to achieve, um, but I think it came uh, originally from... Uh, my background before I started in Creo, I interned at Apple um, and have followed the company for a long time. Um, and then also just have had this drive to distill problems to sort of their most minimalist, their most intuitive state so that you don't have to think about it. And I guess that comes from sort of as a business owner, you're always busy. You're always distracted. There's a million things going on. It's really hard to get business owners to pay attention for, to one thing and have them really sit down and figure it out for a long time because there's too many, too many other things happening. And so our mindset with Digits has been, how can we communicate the information in the most intuitive way possible so you don't have to spend mental energy or in, in the industry, it's called cognitive load 
understanding what is happening. Um, and so how do we really push the visuals, push the interface, push the different flows so that it feels natural as you're using the product? What was interesting is when we started the company, I personally have no background in accounting. I don't have a CPA, don't, never went to business school. Um, and so we took a very sort of first principles empirical approach to designing it. And now we do, of course, have talent on the team that has accounting degrees and knows exactly what we're doing. But I think that early phase of designing it more naively of just what would I want? How do I think about the business has sort of guided us in a direction that you don't see in more traditional accounting software. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at Scott Cook, who who founded Quicken back in the 80s, you know, that's exactly what happened to him is that his wife was sitting at a kitchen table, you know, uh, trying to balance their checkbook. And he had to think about how do I make this easy for me? Because he was feeling the pain. And 100 yep. percent, when you're feeling the pain, you you have a uh, an emotional response to solve it in a way that makes it easy so that you can unload your brain. So I, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. You know, I want to flip our conversation just a little bit because I was watching The Social Dilemma it was, uh, last mm. night, which you you were in The Social Dilemma. Um, it's a documentary, yep. by, the fo- by the way, folks on Netflix, which is fantastic. And it talks about the dangers of social media to society as a whole, which is a really important conversation. Um, and definitely worth watching. But what was interesting to me is having been in digits um, and then watching this and ta- you know, hearing you guys talk about um, understanding what people are going to do next um, by watching their behavior within social media platforms. And you know, we can definitely dive into the whole privacy issue. But one of the things that struck me was all of the knowledge that you learned in, at Twitter and at your other companies about human behavior really led you to designing that incredible user interface. And it was a pure example of how taking that data, you know, in, in the social dilemma, there's a lot of talk about how it can be exploited and really mm-hmm. harm people. But you've taken what you've learned from that and used it for good because this is a place where people do need that transparency and they knew, do need that ease of use because let's face it, accounting and numbers are really, really difficult for a lot of people. So could you talk a little bit about how you took some of those learnings along your career path about privacy data and have infused that into digits to make it safer for companies and to protect people's privacy and their, and their information? That is a really great question because you hit on the double-edged sword of what are called viral mechanics of how do you make something spread amongst users. And this really came with what Silicon Valley has, has done very thoroughly is developed a very theoretic, deep understanding of how humans use software and how they understand the interfaces they're interacting with and what techniques drive usage. And so this can be used very positively. The famous example was back in the day when Hotmail came out with email. Hotmail spread like wildfire because they automatically appended a signature to your email that referenced Hotmail. And so when you got an email, you were like, oh, I'll check out Hotmail. And that's how they got so much usage. Of course, that can be used negatively. And so the famous example with Facebook is when you're tagged in a photo, you just get the email that says you're tagged in a photo. It doesn't show you the photo. 
right? Like how hard would it be to just put the photo in the email? They don't do that intentionally because they want to draw you back into the platform to show you ads, to get you to then post and so on and so on. And that's what we discussed in the social dilemma and the negative implications on people's time all across the world. What's interesting is that you can use these same techniques for more beneficial products. And so we applied a lot of sort of consumer social viral techniques to Crashlytics, which was a nerdy developer tool. And it was great in helping teams adopt it. And so going back to 2012, we had one iOS engineer at Facebook try out Crashlytics. Within 48 hours, the entire iOS engineering team at Facebook had accounts on our product and were using it. And it's thanks to these same types of viral techniques. And so similar thinking with digits, it's how can we bring finance into the organization and make it collaborative? And so within digits, let's say you pull up your marketing spend, you can immediately just go in with one click, share that to your head of marketing or to someone on your team. And they won't be able to see your payroll data or anything else that you may think is sensitive. They can comment on it right there. And so you can imagine bringing these sort of viral consumer collaborative interfaces to products where it's actually strictly beneficial to the business. Then you bring up all the data privacy side, which is equally critical. And this has been fundamental to us. And so everything I saw and learned both at Crashlytics and Twitter on how you protect user data, everything is encrypted at rest, et cetera, et cetera. We've taken that very deep at digits. And it's one of our core tenants that basically everything you have in the product is locked down and secure and you can control who accesses it. Yeah, you know, you, you talked about that at, uh, at Scaling New Heights. You had talked about the use of AI at digits. And, you know, you've talked about, um, you know, the real-time financial data, right? And getting that real-time financial data. And um, you also talked at Scaling New Heights about how uh, tools like ChatGPT, which are, is an open platform, that is basically taking data from everyone that provides information to it um, is not super secure <laughs> yep. because it's open. It's an open platform. So can you talk about the types of machine learning that you're using at Digits, how it's different from something like ChatGPT or other AI that is used um, within Digits to help get that real-time financial data and the analytics that you're providing to your customers? Yeah, this is an incredibly exciting time in technology because we're, we're witnessing the rise of artificial intelligence in real time as it's being developed. And so there's two major classes of AI. And when I say AI, I basically mean machine learning. Um, these are advanced algorithms that allow computers to improve themselves in order to solve some sort of problem. And so there's two major classes. There are generative AI models, which ChatGPT is the most famous one. You basically type in a prompt and it'll generate an answer to that prompt. Um, that answer may not be strictly accurate. <laughs> it does not do math. The answer is not computed. Uh, it may make something up, but it will generate you an answer no matter what. Um, and then the other class of algorithms is called predictive models. And these you can think of as categorization problems. So if you have a transaction, let's say you spend $5 at Starbucks it would be, oh, okay, that's a meal's expense, right? It can classify things. These algorithms tend to be highly accurate, but need a lot of training and a lot of data to train. And so what we've been focused on at Digit is how do we combine the strengths of both of these in a way that is also secure? 
And so we use a lot of the predictive models internally to help you classify transactions, to detect anomalies in your books, uh, things that maybe you made a mistake on and were categorized correctly this month versus last month, et cetera. And then we use the generative models to make it super easy to interact with so that you can answer questions and get answers. You can ask questions and get answers. Now, the trick is, of course, what you brought up. Uh, ChatGPT is not secure and has no real guarantees on what they do with your data. So you do not want to go paste financial data into ChatGPT. That is a terrible idea. Um, And so what we've done is put a lot of energy into a technical approach where we have this sort of three-layer architecture combining these models along with our uh, financial modeling engine. And so when you use digits, all of your data is safe, it's encrypted, it's stored in our system, we do all the math internally, we can guarantee all the math is correct. We then use our predictive models, which we have trained on true double entry accounting. They understand the basics of accounting. And then we use GPT, these generative models, to do the human uh, interaction, but it never sees the data. We actually use redacted tokens so that when you ask a question, we compute the answer. We then scramble the answer, give it back to GPT to write the response. And at the last moment, we substitute in the actual data. And so from there, we get the benefits of this beautiful conversational interactive experience without leaking any of your data to any other system. That is fascinating. And I actually get it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like really proud of myself that I actually get what you just said as far as, you know, drawing the line. And that's, that's awesome. I, you know, amazing. So what is the future of AI? What are we going to see? Can you help us? Let's look into the future. What does not just accounting, although most of our listeners are accounting, so I'd love to focus there, but where are we going with this? Yeah, it is just a fascinating time and it is developing literally day by day, week by week. Um, And the milestones, it's it's not in the distant past. Like basically last summer uh, was a huge milestone launch of GPT. Uh, then ChatGPT came out this past November, then GPT-4 this past January, February. So it is really moving in real time. What is interesting and to talk about accounting is a lot of the hype you're seeing online are sort of more entertaining use cases. So you can have it generate you an image, you can have it write you an email, maybe it could draft a letter to your client. What we're really focused on is that is nice, but can it also help you save real time and tedium? And talking with literally thousands of accountants, both at the conference and uh, through our own customer base, a lot of people don't enjoy the tedium of sitting for hours and and classifying transactions. And that's something that computers can help with really, really well and speed boost. And so that's a big part of our focus right now is developing the next generation of these models to be really good at understanding transaction context and how you want to book that into the chart of accounts. And so a big milestone that just happened last week is Facebook open sourced one of its models called Llama 2. And this will be a big boon to the industry because now we can start building on top of that internally and there's no data security risk. All your data stays internal to digits, never leaves our walls, and we can continue to refine and improve these models to make them even smarter. I love that. You know, it is our biggest pain point is the categorization and the communication with our clients and understanding, you know, getting into their brain, right? 
Um, and one of the things as accounting professionals, we have to be super, super careful of is, you know what they say about assuming anything, right? Yep. Is that we can't assume anything about transactions that our clients are providing to us. But with AI, they can make that process pretty, using the predictive models, can make it pretty ironclad taken in context of the circumstances around it. So that's very interesting. Is there anything that you are building in to address like the confirmation piece of that? So. Yes, you bring up a really good point. And so the key thing here, and this does require some sophisticated engineering, so it's not the most simple way to go about it. But if you use these models correctly, not only can they basically predict what, for example, a classification or category would be, but they'll also give a confidence score. And so when you say, oh, this transaction is meals, it will can basically tell you, oh, I'm pretty positive, like it's definitely meals, or maybe that was sort of a guess. And so what we're able to do is use that to inform the product interface. And so then the ones it's confident in, you probably don't need to spend a lot of time on. The ones that it's, it's iffy about, we can productize and surface to you and you as the accountant can verify, perhaps you want to send it to your client to get more context or commentary. And that way you save time on the easy ones and you can focus on the ones that actually matter and you want to weigh in on. Does Digit learn from that interaction? So if there is a, a categorization that then I go in as the accountant and I change, will it learn from that? It does. Yes, that's exactly right. And so it trains, we have two tiers of models. So our first tier trains on your activity for that specific client. And so we understand that every client is different. Everyone has different preferences. As you're doing your work for each client, we are training models on your work for that client. And so if you go change something or fix something or have historical data, it'll learn from that for that client. If you see it, if the model sees a transaction that that client has never seen before, let's say they shopped somewhere totally new, obviously it won't have an answer. What we do then is we fall back to our second tier of models, which are trained across our entire customer base. And so of course the answer won't be as confident for this client, but it'll be way better than a random guess. And so that allows you to still get the speed boost benefits of learning from everyone else's work and still keep the data secure. Amazing. I, I, you know, I, I love the idea, you know, everything that you said about being able to share specific data easily with somebody who needs to actually take action is a huge solve for us as accounting professionals. Um, getting that, you know, that, that, that confidence score of the categorization is huge. Um, where do you see this going as far as, you know, other use cases. I mean, right now you're focusing on categorization, so you're focusing on the reporting aspect of it. I could see some implications for auditing, um, mm. for you know, tax advisory and under or even tax represent representation using yep. the technology and the models that you guys are creating. Do you guys have any plans to start to dip your toe into other areas of business as well? This is what is so exciting about this space and this opportunity the requests are endless. And so I think we have a roadmap for years ahead of us sort of building out these. We are definitely very interested in it. There is a lot still to get right, even with just the basic bookkeeping parts. And so before we get spread too thin, we really want to become exceptional at some of the core basic flows. Um, but you're right. I think there's a ton of opportunity in audit, a ton of opportunity in tax. 
And it'll be really exciting to see how this develops over the next few years. Awesome. Now, do you have, do you, um, how do you interact with accounting professionals as far as getting feedback and learning more about digits and the roadmap and, and things that you guys are creating? Yeah. So we have over a thousand accounting firms using digits today. We've just been overjoyed by the reaction from the industry. Um, we also have our digits advisory board, which is a smaller set of accounting firms that are really excited to partner with us and give us close feedback and try out sort of early versions of new feed, of new features. Um, so there's a bunch of different ways to get involved. Our website is easy. It's digits.com. Uh, check it out. You can see our partnership details on there and would love to chat. We, we do tons of accountant calls every week and get product feedback and try to ship improvements as fast as we can. Awesome. And to sign up, you get five companies, right? Is that right? You get five companies that you can start working with? That's correct. Yeah. Your first five clients are free. Uh, we have pricing plans on the website. We'd love feedback on additional features you want, uh, anything we can do to make your lives easier. And yeah, super excited for it. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Um, I've learned a, a ton and I'm super excited and uh, I just can't wait to see where you guys go and, and the new things that you create. Um, really, really amazing. And I, I just, I see as an accounting professional that's really focused on technology, I just see so much potential and um, can't wait to see where you guys go. So thank you, Jeff. This has been fantastic. Well, Heather, this is awesome. Really appreciate the kind words. Uh, we definitely have a long journey ahead of us, but our team is just super excited. And it's been such a joy to really get to know this industry so well and get so much feedback, meet folks at these conferences like Scaling New Heights. It's just been really fantastic. So thank you so much. And we just love working with you. And, and we're looking forward to seeing you guys come back to Scaling New Heights uh, next year as well. Well, everybody, that's all for today. Uh, again, a huge thank you to Jeff. Uh, look forward to talking to you in the future and we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.